And as we said, we are in, uh, in the middle of our series, Teach Me to Pray, and we've been talking through various tenets of the Lord's Prayer. Over the last few weeks, you've seen bits and pieces of that prayer hopefully come to life a little bit. In the very beginning, we talked about our Father in Heaven and how His name is holy, hallowed, set apart as different and perfect. And yet He calls us to call Him Father. He makes us His children through faith. And so He gives us the ability to reach out to Him as close as a child is to a father. And that is so cool, especially when you need God. When you need God the most, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You simply just call His name, Heavenly Father, and He hears you because of Jesus. And then we talked about His kingdom coming, how God's kingdom is not something that's set apart that has yet to come, but God's kingdom has already come through Jesus. And because Jesus is in you and in me working in us, His kingdom has come and in fact is coming every single day through us. And along with that, the idea that God's will being done on earth, that everyone should come to a saving knowledge of the truth about Jesus. Everybody around us, those that we know and love and care about, God sent His Son to die for those people just like He did for you and me. And so He wants the good news of the kingdom of God to come through us. And He does that through practical means, which is the daily bread that's in that next passage there. The idea that the things we need on a daily basis, including the bread we eat and make our kids peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with, also includes the houses we live in and the clothes that clothe us and the jobs, the vocations we work where we earn a paycheck to be able to go out and buy those things. All of those are a part of the daily bread that God has given us. And the purpose of that daily bread is not simply to keep it for myself, but to do what with it? To serve others with it, to share to others with it. And how our lives were made through God's grace and His wisdom to share that daily bread not only with, with the ones that we love and care for in our own homes, but with those around us in neighborhood and community, at work and at school. This is how the good news of Jesus becomes practical, becomes pragmatic, and hits the street. It grows feet and walks and moves. Today we're going to talk about one of the toughest parts of the Christian faith. And this next tenet is so very challenging for many of us. Because not only does Jesus call us to forgive others, and uh, to ask God for forgiveness on a regular basis, knowing that through grace in Jesus Christ, our sins have already been forgiven. He calls us to ask for forgiveness when we sin in a very special context. Now, I don't know if this has ever thrown you a curveball like it has me before, but when Jesus says this, he says, forgive us our debts, and debts literally means our sins, our trespasses, if you want to use the old language, but he says what? As we have also forgiven our debtors. In the same way that we have also forgiven our debtors. So my question for you and for me this morning. I got to tell you, in asking this question, I'm afraid today. I stand here scared of this message. Because of the power in it. And the implications of it. And I don't admit that to you very much. You don't see a lot of fear in me up here. And most times you see halfway preparedness and confidence, right? Today, I'm scared of this message. 
And the reason I'm afraid of it is because of its power. Here's why. I want to share a story with you that hopefully will, uh, will speak to you in the right way today. Please take it as it's meant. There's a story in the news right now, uh, and I hope I get her name right. It's a, a lady named Rachel Denhollander. Really a long name. She's a U.S. gymnast, or she was many years ago. And she was a whistleblower in a case where the U, uh, USA gymnastics team hired this prestigious doctor to take care of the girls on the team. And it's come out in the news that the doctor was abusing the girls through what he called medical care. Now, I'm not going to go into any more detail than that because it's quite graphic and quite abusive. But the doctor has been brought up on multiple charges. In fact, many hundreds of counts, I think, have been, have been registered on the docket. Some of them have stuck. But they've rendered judgment and sent the doctor to jail for 175 years. That's how severe his practice did damage to so many young lives. What I want to show you is a short video clip from the impact statement of uh, Rachel in front of the court where the doctor was sitting there listening to her and she's sharing her faith with him in a very practical way pertinent to the discussion of forgiveness. Hopefully with, uh, with the audio understandable, I want you to just watch this for a minute. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially, no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness, and so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on them like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I was struck by that testimony this week because the, the strength and the power that young lady had when she was standing in front of her abuser, in front of all the world, gave testimony that you and I can't give. That is her story. But you and I have a story too. 
And whatever that story is, whatever that story might be, it is meant for forgiveness not only to come into our lives and for us to embrace the idea of forgiving those who've hurt us, but it also gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to say, I'm sorry when I've done wrong and seek forgiveness. And it also gives us the ability to understand that just like daily bread, forgiveness is not meant to be kept between you and me in close quarters. Forgiveness as a thing is meant to be shared with people who don't know God. And that when you and I get into trouble or get into a situation where we either need to ask for forgiveness or be forgiven, that it is functional to the work of God. And the work of God is this, that all should come to a belief, a saving belief in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is who makes the forgiveness of God for all people possible. What if the things that you and I experience, the painful things in life that you and I experience, where forgiveness should be rendered, sometimes is and sometimes isn't, what if those things were actually functional to the kingdom of God? Where we could begin to understand what it took for God to send His Son to die for you and me and ultimately to forgive us. What if that were true? Here's what I want to share with you this morning from the scripture. And this is just right after Cassie had read it. This is from the NIV version. Paul says to the church, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, wrap yourselves up with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive in the same way that the Lord forgave you. Now let me ask you a question. Could you and I have any inkling whatsoever in the universe of what it takes for the heart of God to forgive us if we didn't experience hurt and pain and either need forgiveness or seek forgiveness or want forgiveness ourselves? Could we understand the heart of God in that way if we didn't experience pain? If we didn't experience the need for resolution from pain, a la forgiveness? Would we be able to get God if we didn't have those things happening in our lives? I would suggest no. I would suggest that based on the Holy Spirit working in your life, the hurts and the pains that you've experienced, perhaps either by doing them yourself or by experiencing them on the receiving end, all of those were there so that you would understand the heart of God and that you would be able to wrap yourself up in His forgiveness through Jesus for a specific twofold purpose. One of those purposes is so that you would heal and grow and be free of your sin or the sin someone did against you. And secondly, that you would share the good news of Jesus that forgiveness is there for all of humanity and that there would be no barrier between you and anyone else who needs the forgiveness of God. Why? 
because you would know personally what it took for God to forgive you. In Jesus, going to the cross and dying, it was God giving up his one and only son. Now that's a message that we've been preaching for 2,000 uninterrupted years. But I would submit to you that in the real world, that's how the message of forgiveness actually gets real. That's how it gets practical in the context of what you and I have experienced living in the kingdoms of this earth. Remember how we talked about in the Lord's Prayer in the beginning, how God's kingdom is not a kingdom of this world, but how we pray that it has come into the world and invaded the world? You see, the world we live in doesn't want to forgive. The world we live in wants to hang on to things. And the world we live in, when confronted with the message that we should forgive others as the Lord has forgiven us, might respond something like this. Tell me how you really feel. How do you really feel about forgiving someone who's hurt you? How do you feel about seeking forgiveness of someone you've hurt? It is not human nature to want to go get that, is it? And in fact, the kind of gumption that it took for Rachel to stand up in front of her abuser, who abused her on multiple occasions under the context of medical care, along with dozens of other girls across the course of generations, for her to stand up and be able to face that guy and talk to him in this way is just the power of God working forgiveness. But what I want you to catch this morning from Rachel is not only did she say to him that she had forgiven him in her own way, but she also shared with him that that forgiveness was there for him as well. Now that doctor is going to spend the rest of his life in jail. Will he follow Jesus in jail? I don't know. Maybe he will. I've known people who, are, who were in prison who came to Christ in prison, whose lives changed. Maybe you do too. We don't know. But what I want you to take from the story is the idea that forgiveness is for all, even the worst of us. God's forgiveness is for all. And so when we pray to our Heavenly Father, as Jesus has taught us, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those uh, debtors around us. Let's put it that way. What we're talking is about is forgiveness that is bigger than just me. It's bigger than just my forgiving others or my being forgiven. That's a part of it, but it's bigger than that. Now, I've never had anything as bad as what happened to Rachel happen to me before. Probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me, honestly. And there's a bunch of stuff, right? Just like with any of us. So one time when I was about 22 years old, I was a college student, and I offered to give a guy a ride downtown, and this was down south. Um, the town was smaller. It wasn't Chicago. It was a smaller place. But I offered to give a guy a ride who said that he needed to go pick up his daughter from preschool. So he led me on you know, kind of a winding road through you know, the backside of town and finally took me back out to somewhere that I wasn't familiar with, and he threatened me with a knife. 
He took my uh, watch that my parents had given me for graduation. And I was driving a Ford Escort with one of those little uh, buttons in the bottom of the steering column that releases the key. You guys remember that? Anyway, he was going to steal my car and leave me there. But because of that silly, goofy little button that Ford put on the Escorts, he couldn't get the key out of the ignition. So he finally gave up, took my graduation watch, and left by the grace of God. There was a knife there. It could have been worse. But I'll tell you, after that, I didn't give anybody else any more rides. I didn't want to be nice to anybody for a while. I was constantly looking over my shoulders, second-guessing everybody. I constantly had this taste in my mouth that was like, why should I do anything nice for anybody? I tried to help him get to his daughter. There was no daughter. There was no preschool. There was none of that. It was just a, a lie. But it even took months, probably years, for me to get over that, for me to recover from that, and to start wanting to help other people and to be vulnerable to, uh, vulnerable to other people again. I was a Christian. It wasn't like I didn't have faith in my life. But it took the supernatural healing coming through the Holy Spirit into my life and exposure to people who loved me and cared about me and reminded me of God's love, even through that small experience that I'll never forget. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen from you before. I don't know if maybe you had a, um, a parent that was overbearing and, and loud and, and difficult with you and perhaps even abusive. That happens. I don't know if you had a bad breakup with somebody that you just can't get over, even if you've re, you know, married or remarried and gone on and had kids in a new life. Maybe you've had somebody pass away in your life. There's a part of you that doesn't forgive them for leaving. No matter what that pain is, no matter what the source of that pain is, we all are exposed to the opportunity for forgiveness, aren't we? We're all exposed to it. And that starts with very little children. Little children can be taught how to forgive, can they not? And in fact, they learn how to forgive from you and me. We are God's little children. We are the ones who learn from our Father who art in heaven and hallowed be his name. We learn from him how to forgive those who've hurt us. When that comes, when that forgiveness happens, it is a supernatural event. Forgiveness is the stuff of heaven. And if you've ever experienced forgiving someone who hurt you, finally, letting them go, finally releasing them from what you've been holding against them for all this time, it is freeing, isn't it? It's like you experience a freedom that is supernatural. And that freedom can't be faked. It's either the real deal or it's not. And friends, this morning, either you are free from the effects of sin in your life, whether you perpetrated it or received it, Either you are free from those effects or you're still in bondage to them. God does not want his people in bondage. He wants them free. And so he gives us Jesus who dies for us on the cross and rises again 
so that we may know God's forgiveness for the express purpose of passing that supernatural commodity on to someone else who has hurt us and then sharing the function of forgiveness in the kingdom of God with someone who needs it and has never experienced that freedom before. Think about it for a second. You might even have difficulty with the idea that God would use your pain to bring healing to someone else who needs it. Here's the reason why. Look at this part of the scripture Cassie read. Over all these virtues that we talked about before, uh, patience, kindness, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to what? To peace and be thankful. See, the idea is that even if you struggle, even if you have things in life that you're dealing with, and everybody in this room has them, the idea is that God has called you to peace. And the way he makes peace happen is through forgiveness. Either the forgiveness that you need from God for your sin, past, present, and future, or the forgiveness that you need to give against another human being who hurt you, or the forgiveness that you seek from somebody that you have hurt. Ultimately, what happens is God works peace. And he wants you to be at peace in your life, your average everyday life. The mechanics of how he wants that to work in you, that peace to work in you, is through forgiveness. And I would suggest to you this, forgiveness is hard. It is human, it is dirty, it is rough, it is raw, it's gross, it's sickening, it's just awful and beautiful and powerful and amazing and liberating and freeing. And life-changing the message of Christ is this that God wants all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus that happens through forgiveness and the function of forgiveness in you is peace the outcome of forgiveness in you is peace do you feel at peace with things that have been forgiven in your life or things that you have forgiven, that's normal. That's what happens when forgiveness really renders itself in you and through you. You're at peace with God and at peace with others. Uh, this is a familiar scene. This is our altar table. This table is not holy. It's just stuff. I can just pick up the stuff and, V, can you hold on to that for me? Thanks. I can just pick up the stuff and move it around. Jared, can you hold the cross for me? It's not holy. It's just stuff. The reason we have this table is because it's God's dinner table. And what's happening is when we're doing a service, God is inviting you to come and join him at the dinner table. He loves you. He forgives you through Jesus. And he invites you to eat with him. 
Now, would God call you to sit down and eat with your enemies? Who do you eat with? Your friends, your family, those you love. The reason we have a table, and it's just a folding table with a white tablecloth on it. The reason we have a table is because God has invited us to his table. He's healed us through Jesus, and he's given us a new family through the family of God through this table. And so that's why we set this table every single week. And the best part about this table is that it's just a shadow of this one. Now, this is Heather's and my dinner table at home. Over on the left is a cat tree. Over on the right behind that wall is a bucket of vinegar water. And there are toys and like clothes piled up you can't see over on the left-hand side. And there's usually crumbs on the table. But imagine this idea. Imagine that that table were like this table. And that that table were the table of God. Where God calls people to come and have fellowship with Him over hamburgers. Or steak if you uh, eat like that. Or mac and cheese. Imagine if God invites you to his table and then you turn and invite others to yours and imagine if those two functioned exactly the same. What if the purpose of that table and this table were one purpose only and that is to share the good news of Jesus as forgiveness so that people might live how? At peace with God. And what if every meal you had at that table served that function with your own family first and then perhaps one other family in your neighborhood that you choose to invite to share your table once a month or once a quarter? What if that table were used to share the peace of God through the forgiveness He gives us in Jesus? Would that be a welcome message to someone who didn't know God? Would that be a welcome message to someone who didn't have a relationship with God? That God not only works forgiveness between Him and us, but He also works forgiveness between who? Us and others. Those who've hurt us. And those whom we've hurt. What if that centerpiece were functional to the peace of God being spread in the world? It can be, if you think of it that way, and use it that way. Use it for what it's intended for. This table is not meant to be worshiped. This table is the table of God, and we worship Him around it. In the same way, the table you have at home, with all the stuff piled around it that you can't see in the pretty pictures, is meant to share the peace of God through the work of forgiveness. That is why when Jesus says to us, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven the sins of those who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is a thing. It's like daily bread. It's meant to be shared. Look at what Rachel says. And this is just a transcript of the last closing thought that she had in that clip. She says, the Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. 
You ever felt crushed under guilt before? You ever known people crushed under guilt? They're all around us. But that is what makes, and I love these words, say these with me, that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. What is sweet? Sweet is a taste, isn't it? Like a taste at the table of Christ. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And these words have stuck with me since I saw her testimony. And it will be there for you. So we welcome the kids back in and get ready to pray. I want to challenge you with something this morning. Knowing that these little kids can understand forgiveness if you teach it to them. Will you teach them and each other and share amongst us in community the idea that forgiveness is an active part of the coming of the kingdom of God? Will you begin to see forgiveness in a new way as functional to the peace of God? The peace of God spreads through it. Will you agree with me on that and begin to see forgiveness in that way? If you will, you will see forgiveness and peace in your life and through your life in the lives of others who need it. Now, don't raise your hand to this. Think of a face of a person who needs God's forgiveness in your mind. Think about that person's life. Is that person close to you geographically where you could see them? Whomever God brought to your mind, maybe he's calling you to share his peace with that person. Maybe it takes a meal first or a dozen meals or a hundred meals. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God will use your pain and healing in forgiveness to share his peace with the world around you. I don't know about you, but in me, that works a great deal of peace. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this opportunity to stop and focus on the institution of forgiveness, the thing that it is. It's so much bigger than me, but I love that it includes me. God, I regret and I confess to you today that I've misunderstood forgiveness at times. I have misunderstood that somehow I needed to do something to earn your forgiveness. Or perhaps I've portrayed the idea to others that they need to work to earn your forgiveness, whatever it might be. I confess that to you and with joy in my heart, I thank you that you have given me forgiveness, not because of acts that I do, things that I do, but what Jesus has done for me. And in that, God, you have ignited in me an ability to share forgiveness and peace with those around me. And in fact, that's what you mean it for. So I receive your forgiveness in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm absolved and that sin is wiped away because of Jesus. And God, I pray that you inspire me through your spirit to see my dinner table, just like the one up here with the candles and the cross on it, as an instrument of peace. 
And not only that dinner table, but the people who sit at it. We are the ones that you are working through. So take that message and share it with the world. The world that I know, perhaps that one face that you brought to mind. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.